Sorry about the awkward table in front of you there. <clears throat> good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. I, I, uh, I, I have like a little bit of a you know, cough thing. I don't feel too bad, but if I pop a Ricola, don't panic. Everything's under control. It's okay. I just, uh, three services today. I got four more on Tuesday, so I'm trying to pace my voice. <clears throat> but uh, you are the brave 1130 crowd. You are here because you stayed up late watching Jimmy Fallon and Justin Timberlake on SNL, didn't you? <clears throat> uh, there's such a thing as a DVR. Do you guys know that that exists? Uh, I'll be watching it at about 2 p.m. Um, but this is, you know, beautiful setup. We've got Christmas Eve coming. We've got stringed instruments, these phenomenal musicians. We've got We've got, you know, Jordan's beard. We've got all kinds of things that just say, Christmas is great. And yet, I know that there are many of us here, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking, Christmas is kind of rough. And the reality is that Christmas brings, it, 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 it intensifies whatever it is that's going on in our life. So if you're experiencing great things, maybe you just got a job after a long time of searching, or, or maybe someone in your family just had a baby, or, or maybe you just... Uh, stepped into a new relationship, or there's whatever, maybe there's good things, and Christmas just takes it to the next level and just pumps you up even more. Or, if you've got hard things going on in your life, some friends of mine that have been looking for a job for over a year now and still don't have one, uh, or other, I just did a funeral yesterday morning, and there's hard things going on in people's lives um, in that respect. Maybe, maybe there's a loss, and Christmas just reminds you of that pain of the loss that's there. Whatever it is, Christmas has a way of intensifying and bringing up emotion, and, and, and it can be a really difficult season for many of us. And the reality is that Christmas can be messy. It just, it just can be very messy, and that's real. Whether it's you know, family drama, you remember whether you're struggling in school, or it's the, it's the job thing, it's the financial thing, it can just be messy and difficult. How many of you could be honest and just say that you know, maybe it's some aspect of your life just feels messy and chaotic and not the way that, you know, you would hope it would be. It's just me. It's me alone. Uh, or maybe you can say, my life is great, but the person next to me, their life is a mess. So, <laughs> Caleb, you know, speak to them and it'll be fine. I read a story this week about someone not too far from here who had uh, a beautiful nativity scene in her yard and had it stolen last week. Who steals a nativity scene, honestly? Some kind of hardened criminal. I mean, how, how, how do you even get there that you're just like stealing now nativity? Where do you hawk a nativity scene anyway? There was someone else that I knew last Christmas. She, she was in a new relationship. And so it was by their, their university or, or whatever it was. And, and she was staying in town to do Christmas with his family, thinking like, this might be the deal. We've only been together for a few months, but I think that, you know, this could be the, the marriage thing, and so I'm going to stay. Told her family, no, I'm not flying home this year. Expensive flights. And you know how, like, every day closer to Christmas you get, the flights are just like, now, well, $1,200 or whatever. She finds out on Christmas Eve that his parents don't want her to come over for Christmas because they're a tight family and they haven't been dating long enough. So she was alone on Christmas. It can just be messy. The family dynamics, the weirdness, there, there's just pain, there's just messiness. There's reminders at what's supposed to be such a special time of year that our lives are not perfect, that our lives are broken and messy. There's the famous quote from 
National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when Ellen Griswold says, I don't know what to say except it's Christmas and we're all in misery. You know, there's, there's just something that we can relate to in terms, of, in terms of our messy lives and Christmas bringing that to the forefront. So my question for you is, should our Christmases be different? Should our Christmases be less messy? And I would suggest to you that the answer is no. We live in a broken, fallen, jacked-up world. And there's so much of life that is out of your control. You cannot avoid the mess. It's going to be in the mix. You can't have this photoshopped Christmas. But you can have peace in the midst of the mess. And that's what we're going to spend a few minutes talking about today. On Tuesday for Christmas Eve, I'm going to read the whole Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. Today, I just want to talk about a couple of things. I want to highlight the good news that mess is where we find Jesus. The first Christmas was a mess. Joseph and Mary, are she's pregnant, about to have a kid, and they're having to travel like donkey and some supplies on dirt roads a long distance to his hometown for a census. So they're going to Bethlehem. That whole journey is a mess. They finally get there, and they're getting there for the census just to pay taxes, more taxes. We're talking like not 8% or 10% and we'd flip out. We're talking like 80% so that whatever you bring in, you can live on 20 and you give the rest to Caesar and you don't even get public school system or health care or things like that. You, you're, just, you're just paying them 80% of what you bring in. And so they're going to this town for this census so that they can pay more taxes. And we look, pick up in verse 6 and 7, it says this. While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I want to tell you what a manger was like. Because <clears throat> you see the nativity scenes and you think major, manger and you think barn, but I want to give you a little bit more context. A manger was probably built into a cave. And not only was it built into a cave, but oftentimes it wasn't just the manger in the cave. It could, it could have been. But a lot of times for these peasant homes, their home was actually the cave. So they would build their home into this, you know, cavernous thing, chip it out of rock, or sometimes there was these little wooden structures next to it. But a lot, but you imagine this opened out, hollowed out kind of cave thing, and that's their house. It's one room. It's one room. There's a verse that Jesus says later. He says, why would you light a candle or light a lamp and then keep it hidden? No, you, you, you light that lamp and it gives light to the whole house because your whole house is one room. And everything's going on in that one room. And so for these peasants in this area, what they would have is they would have their manger would be the front of their one-room house. That's where they would keep their animals. I have a little image, I think, uh, that you can see and you can visualize. It's like this. So you have the family living area. That's where everything happens. The The manger is in the front. The animals are out, and they bring them in at night so they don't wander off or get stolen. Their animals are like two steps down in their living room at the front of their home. Some of the, some of the homes would have this little guest room kind of wedged in the back, so if someone was staying with them, they didn't have to be out in the open, but not all of them did. 
And what we see from this story is that Mary and Joseph can't find a room at a hotel. And even with all their extended relatives and kind of bumming around, they can't even find one of those teeny little guest rooms at the back of someone's house. They're in this state where, in this place where she's about to give birth, and no one, his extended family and relatives that he might, you know, he might know about and he might be able to find, they all think that this is scandalous, that she's even pregnant in the first place, and they're not even sure they want to help out that much. So all they can find is in somebody's house more than likely, imagine the cave, imagine the manger in front, some hay next to some animals. That is where the God of the universe is born. Talk about messy. Talk about just mind-blowing, like, why, why, this is the Christmas story? They can't even find a room? They're, they're, they're there bumping up against donkeys and sheep and things like that. I mean, have you ever been around like a parent when they're trying to keep their older, like toddler kid away from the little baby because they don't know how to handle it and touch it? Like, gentle, gentle, no, stay away. Try a donkey. <laughs> donkey, no, no, you can't. Or a goat for crying out. Goat, we told you, just human milk for the baby. That's all he can drink. It's just, it's a mess. And it's nasty. And these animals smell bad. Animals stink. They stink just by themselves. The animals just smell. But imagine in the middle of the night when your animals are up in the front of your house in the manger and they go to the bathroom. They're going to the bathroom. They're not holding it for morning. They're just pooping in the front of your house. In my house, I would get an elbow and Hillary would be like, donkey pooped again. Go scoop it up and get it out the house. My response would probably be like, it's 2 a.m. No, you're going to have to just deal with the smell of the poop because I am just lying here. But that's what they were living in. Mary and Joseph are in this little manger in the front of someone's house, and they're giving birth to the Son of God. And, and, and Mary is thinking, this is, this is like the God comes to earth moment. Not only is it my firstborn child, but this is God's son. And she's trying to have a moment, and there's mice running around between her feet. Talk about the biggest husband fail in the history of mankind. He cannot live this one down. This is happening right now. I am giving birth, and there's mice running around. I don't care what you have to do or where you have to go. Get a mouse trap and get these mice away from baby Jesus. There's no debate about can we use the glue ones or just the snap-down ones or the, you know, the pellets. We're just going to kill the mice. It's that messy, and it's that smelly. And there's flies everywhere. And then, to make matters worse, it's not extended family that comes to visit. It's not even like obnoxious aunts and uncles that are too loud and don't get it and overstay their welcome. It's not even that good. They get shepherds that they've never seen before. Shepherds were the lowliest of jobs in all the culture. So imagine, I don't know what the lowliest kind of job in our culture necessarily is. I'm just going with a low, I mean, think like, think like a janitor position in the worst imaginable environment that is not able to shower, and it's just, so you're giving birth in a hospital here, let's say, and just a, a bunch of janitors who haven't showered in weeks come into your room and just pile in and are like, wow, so this is it, huh? <laughs> and you've just given birth people that you don't know. And they're like, man, wow. And it's not like they just drop off a present and leave. They've walked a long way. 
They want some water and they're eating some food and they're saying uncomfortable things. Like they're trying to make conversation with you. Man, son of God, huh? Man, you look good for just having delivered the son of God. Or, or Joseph, he looks nothing like you. I'm sorry, but this is, you know, I don't know how else to put that. But And there's, there's just, it's just awkward and it's just messy. And that's the way God came into the world. He didn't have to. He could have come some different way, some extravagant, sanitary way, but he chose that. And it was a mess. Which makes me feel a little bit better because my life is a mess. And maybe your life is a mess. And here's the whole point you don't have to get cleaned up for Christmas. You don't have to get cleaned up for Christmas. Because I know that there's a lot of us who go around and we make ourselves look pretty and we make ourselves look nice and we present this thing out here. And inside, we just know that it's not true. And inside, we know that our heart and soul, we just feel like we're a mess. And if people really knew what we were thinking, what was going on and the pain that we felt or the loneliness that we experienced or the disappointment and discouragement that we've been through, we just, we don't go there, and so we're just, we just put up this kind of Christmas facade, and we just think, oh, it needs to be this white Christmas that looks like this, and the Photoshop scene, and we just, and we're exhausted. We can exhaust ourselves putting up these fronts and playing make-believe and playing pretend and trying to manage our image, and we do that in a number of different ways. We, we do it, we, we just get busy. And our busyness is trying to compensate for what we feel, for the lack that we feel. Or, or we feel shame, and we try to hide, and we try to keep people at a distance. Or we use excuses, because maybe we've gotten accustomed to our mess, and we're not sure that we even want to change. And we go around, and we try to do this Christmas image thing. And the message of Christmas is that God came in the middle of the mess. That he's not afraid of your mess. And he's not afraid to be in the middle of it, in the reality of it and in the chaos of it. And that's what he has been doing since he came in that nasty manger. And here is his message, I believe, for you today from Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to keep striving. You don't have to keep running. You don't have to keep faking it. You don't have to keep pretending. You don't have to just keep trying to keep the facade up. You don't have to run and do life on your own. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you the peace that you long for. I will give you the purpose that you feel like you're missing. I will give you comfort even though there's chaos. I will give you hope, even though there's discouragement. Come to me, just as you are. I will give you that rest. And all the hustle and all the, the running around and the doing the things that we feel like we have to do at this time of year, it can be easy to miss out on the simplicity of what this season represents. That God came in the middle of it and is not afraid of it and invites you just to meet with him there. I wanted to introduce you to a, 
to a newer friend of mine. She has allowed God to come into the center of her what was a chaotic life and bring hope and healing. And I want her to share a little glimpse of her story. Would you please welcome Renee to the stage? Good afternoon. Thank you for the warm welcome. My story goes back 35 years ago when I was four. I don't remember much, but I do remember my parents getting a divorce. My three siblings and I visited my dad every other weekend. As I got older and started extracurricular activities, I visited him less and less on his weekends, and as time went on, we drifted as he never seemed to be there for me anymore. Over time, we grew more and more apart with each passing year. Our relationship deteriorated to the point where he didn't even show up to my own wedding. My soon-to-be ex-husband and I were married in August 1999. We went on to have two beautiful children, now 13, a boy, and a girl who's 12. He was a great husband and an, even, and an amazing father, but we ended up separating three years ago. Then he began to drift out of our children's life, just as my father had done to me. It's killing me to watch, as I know how hard it is not to have a dad around. So needless to say, I am a single parent raising two children on my own with zero financial help from dad. Shortly after our mutual separation, I decided I was ready to start going out, hitting up every nightclub and bar out there. It was, and it was my psychologist who told me to go and try all the fruits out there as I never got to do that young college party, partying dating scene because I was 19 when I met and stayed with my ex. And let me tell you, I did try all the fruits and even some vegetables out there. All the while making some wrong and very dangerous choices. Put it this way, alcohol and me just don't mix. When I would go out, I would go out and drink to get drunk. And then I would make bad choices. Regretfully, I've had my share of one-night stands, and I used to say that nothing bad happened until that fateful night on February 26. I went out on a lunch date and a few drinks, and had a few drinks, probably one too many. We ended up at his place, and I was sexually assaulted while under the influence. Words can't even begin to explain how scared, vulnerable, and sickened I had felt. I truly hit rock bottom. I knew right then and there that I needed a major change in my life. After a week or so went by, I figured I had two choices. One was to let it defeat me and let it ruin my life, or two, I can defeat and overcome it, and that's exactly what I did. I vowed to myself that I would start going to church every Sunday unless I was out of town or had a race, as I am a runner. I vowed to myself that I, would drink I wouldn't drink socially just for the fun of it. I vowed to not have sexual relations for I vowed to not have sexual relations for at least a year and I vowed to myself that I would become a better all-around person. March 4th, 2013 was my first day to attend Mariners HB. I was invited to Mariners by the family I work for as a nanny and here I am. I call Mariners HB my home, my family. I heard about Rooted program early on, but didn't think I was quite ready for it last spring session. I felt willing and able to make the next step in my journey, so I enrolled in the fall session. It, along with attending services every week, truly has changed my life, so much so that I was baptized on November 22, 2013, after the Rooted celebration. I truly feel like a new person, 
as I wholeheartedly have given my heart and soul over to Jesus. I found God through Jesus Christ, and never having gone to church growing up, this is huge for me. Through Rooted, I learned to become more like God, to love, to forgive, to give, to share in ways I could never have imagined. I have a new outlook on life, new hope for the future, despite my past. God entered into the mess of my life and is making me new. I was asked to I was asked and very honored to share my testimony via a big cardboard cutout during the rooted celebration. That cardboard is a symbol of where I came from to where I am now. I read a scared, lost, broken soul. Sorry, a scared, lost, broken soul who was drowning in hatred. By the grace of God, I'm found, fixed, excited for life, all while floating with forgiveness. Thank you all for allowing me to share my story. I didn't say this in any of the other services, but Renee, when, when, uh, when I shared that you were going to be speaking, Hillary knew exactly who you were, uh, and it was because you first started coming here earlier this year, and you ran, right? You would run. She would run from her home to church, and she would sit in a service, and then she would run back. All sweaty. All sweaty. Yeah, yeah, and which is just an embodiment of the fact that we don't have to get cleaned up for Christmas (laughs) or even to come here on a Sunday, and that is the reminder today, is that you don't have to get cleaned up. You don't have to put up fronts. You don't have to fake it. You can be honest about where you are, because the beauty of it is that God shows up in the middle of that, and he's not going to leave you there. He's going to take you on. He's going to lead you somewhere else. He's going he's to make you more of who he designed you to be and help you grow. But you can't get there yourself. You can't fix yourself. You can't make yourself better or more healthy or whatever that is. Only he can do that. And he can only do it if you just come. So come. Rest. Find peace. Let God do what only God can do. In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, after all this is going on and, and Jesus is born and the shepherds have come and all this action has happened, the Bible says that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What that means is she was paying attention. She didn't miss it. She wasn't trying to keep up pretenses and miss the whole point. She was, she was taking it in. And I want to give us just a moment this morning to take it in. To make sure that in the hecticness of this season that we don't miss it. That we, that we hear from God, that we listen to what he's saying, that we have a moment to just come as we are and just say, this is, this is me and all my brokenness or all my questions or in my confusion or in my pain, this is me. And I just want to be with you and I thank you for being here near and with me. So I just want to create the space to do that this morning. I just want us to sit to close your eyes and just ask God to speak to you and say what you need to say to him. Maybe it's for the first time that you're surrendering and saying, God, I want what Renee has. I want that kind of newness of life. I want to just come and be with you. 
For others of us, maybe it's just we're tired of the striving and the making it up and making it happen on our own, and we just need to surrender in, in a new way this morning. Let's just listen and see if God speaks to you. Renee got here other than running. She was invited. Someone from our church whose life had been transformed by God and who knows that God changed his lives in our community brought her. And so we get to see that. We get to be a part of this journey, this transformation this newness of life. We get, to, we get to be friends with Renee. We get to know her. We get to be a part of this journey with her because someone invited her. Don't miss that opportunity this year. You can do it any Sunday, right? We're a church. God's always going to be transforming lives here at our church. It's just what he's going to do. This is a safe place, and that's, part, that's how he works. But don't miss this opportunity at Christmas Eve when people are the most open and the most willing to check out something new. When their, their emotions, their, 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 you know, their, their expectations in their life, there's, there's just an openness. You feel it, you sense it. Let's invite. Let's let God do in us what he wants to do this year and let's invite others to be a part of that too. It says, Luke 2.17, after the shepherds had seen Jesus and seen what this story was about and realized that they got to be part of it, it says that they, when they had seen him, they spread the word. We're going to be word spreaders. We're going to be word spreaders. Not with sandwich boards and, you know, things on Main Street. We're going to be word spreaders with our life and that we genuinely love people and just want them to be a part of our great community and, and do that in a loving, regular, caring person kind of way. That's who we are. Because we can't help it. We serve a God who changes things. We serve a God who is the God of the universe and yet came so humbly in such a vulnerable way to be close to us so that we could all have access. Despite all the mess in our lives, despite all the circumstances, despite our rebelliousness, despite the fact that we just keep not being able to get it right, he shows up in the middle of that and says, come, come. So I invite you to stand with me this morning as we finish as the band plays and just worship this generous God and 
sing to him in response to his goodness to us.